Hi guys, hello, hello. It was just a whirlwind to arrive here. This morning I was walking to the podcast studio. We record at Gotham Podcast Studio in Midtown. It's typically 39 West 38th Street, floor 10. Like that has been what I've known. The first time I ever like saw the studio was there. I've recorded other people's podcasts there. So like this was familiar to me. I think we've recorded like at least five or six episodes there. Um, so I go there and then on my way, I like double check the time that I booked. And I was like, that's weird. It says a different address that I had never seen. And I had no email anywhere like suggesting that they had two locations or that they had like changed locations. So it's like, maybe it was their first location, like their old location. So I go to (laughs) the regular one. I sent India, my assistant to the new one. She gets here and they've like completely relocated. They're like renovating this like big, gorgeous space. It's like giant. And they're like here now, but I guess they sent an email that I never got. Like today was their first day in the new space. So like last week we recorded at the old one. I I literally have no fucking clue. But anyways, (laughs) we're in the new space. I was like, okay, we're going to have to go back to recording with the Yeti, which I don't know. The Yeti is great. If you're trying to start a podcast, I can't recommend the Yeti enough. It's a wonderful microphone. But I was like, maybe I'm just going to have to like bag this today. Like maybe they're not coming at all, which would be unlike them because they're great. But Anyway, welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited to chat with you guys today. I have a lot of updates that we're going to go through first. Um, If you don't know, now you know. I just got back from Michigan graduation, which was really crazy. It was kind of weird, I guess, is like the best way to describe it. Like, I was there the whole time, like trying to picture myself graduating. If you didn't know, I was a 2020 graduate from Michigan, so I never had graduation ceremony. And I just, like, couldn't. And they're holding a graduation ceremony this weekend for, like, the 2020 graduates. I'm not going. I just have too much stuff going on. But I, like, pulled out of myself and was trying to imagine, like, what my life would be if I was a graduate. And I just, like, couldn't. Like, I can't, like, it makes sense to me that I didn't have a graduation ceremony. And oddly enough, I have to tell you guys this, my mom went and saw, like, a tarot palm reader, like, um, fortune teller. What are they called? What are they called? Psychic. Psychic. She went and saw a psychic went probably like five years ago um and the psychic was asking about like my brothers or she was asking my brother about the psychic about like my brothers and me and whatever and the psychic was like all i can say about your daughter is that she's not going to graduate college but she's going to be massively successful and whenever college graduation got canceled we were like what the fuck because literally like my whole senior year we were like why am i not going to graduate college and like not that we thought that that was like definitely going to happen but like we were literally like what the fuck she was right she was literally right so anyways like i feel like i kind of like I don't know. Like, I feel comfort in that. She was right. I don't give a shit. Anyway, graduation was really fun, and I'm so proud of Jack. Um, I'm going to Austin. Not this weekend. Not next weekend. Next weekend? Next weekend. Next weekend. No, the weekend after next weekend. I'm going to Austin for um, Avery's brother's graduation. I love Austin. Allie will be there. I'm so excited. And then the following week, I'm going to Ithaca for Jake's graduation from Cornell, which I'm so fucking excited about. That's amazing. Um... Just so you guys know, health-wise, people are, like, DMing me, like, you're at so many doctor's appointments. And, like, it feels a little bit – I don't know. I'm like, okay. Um, if you didn't know, I ripped out my IUD, so I had to get it put back in. Then I had to have a second um, thing to, like, make sure it was good. I had a breast reduction revision. Then I had to have three post-ops. Then I cracked my teeth in half. I had to have two post-ops for that. Then I had that lump, which we've now dis- discovered is was an abscess, thank God. So, like, 
there's been a lot of shit, but I'm fine because um, everyone's asking me about that. And I'm just like, I'm good. Don't worry about it. Like, I'm feeling a little burnt out, but otherwise, we're fine. Um, and then I had on my list before other things happened to talk about the Met Gala. But, like, here's the thing. Like, now with this Roe v. Wade stuff, I don't even give a fuck about the Met Gala. Met Gala, we'll take a minute to talk about it, is my favorite night of the year. Frankly, I was disappointed because they gave them so much to work with. And, like, I felt like not enough people really ran with the theme. And another thing about the Kim Kardashian situation, there is so much controversy and people fighting. I'm like, can you guys just put your energy to fighting for women's reproductive rights? Actually, not women's, rather people's reproductive rights. Like, can you please channel your energy there? Because this is so fucking stupid. Like, I saw a TikTok that explained um, the, like, conservation of the dress really well saying like it's not the conservators fault who like are putting the dress on a wood hanger and like letting it touch the floor it's not even kim's fault it's ripley's fault because that's that was their rules and it's really hard for conservators to be able to like communicate with like the actual like museum or whatever like they fight so hard for better treatment for these things and it's actually ripley's fault so if you want to be mad at someone be fucking mad at the senate and the government and the fucking supreme court don't be mad at ripley's believe it or not we have bigger fish to fry and also Hot take of the century. I think Marilyn Monroe would have lent the damn dress to Kim Kardashian. I think she would have been a homie. I think if I asked her for the dress, but like, girl, can I wear your dress? She'd have been like, totally. And maybe that's a stupid statement, but people are acting like Marilyn Monroe is their mother in the comments on TikTok. They're like, Marilyn would have been so disappointed. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, please donate to an abortion fund. Like, we, like, please, please donate to an abortion fund. Anyway, then the other thing that I saw a lot of controversy about is Kim, you know, saying that she lost 16 pounds to fit into the dress. And my thoughts around that are like, is that healthy? Is that okay? No, I think it would have been worse had she gone on the red carpet looking much thinner and not said anything. I think it's never healthy to do that. But as someone who's recovered from an eating disorder, it's not triggering for me. When an actor, specifically male actors, lose lots of weight or gain a lot of weight for a certain role, and I felt like in a very similar way that's what she was doing. She was losing weight to fit into a dress for a role to play that part. And although I think it's incredibly, incredibly unhealthy, I also think donate to an abortion fund. <laughs> I also just think like shut the fuck up about that and it's like it's just annoying to me because my whole for you page on TikTok is like still about Kim Kardashian at the Met Gala and I'm like that's so great and it would be so fun to talk about if we weren't out here literally fighting for our rights so donate to an abortion fund I have um, a fundraiser set up we've raised almost $35,000 but I'm gunning for 50 if you can spare anything it would be amazing you want to donate to abortion funds over big corporations quickly why big corporations like Planned Parenthood Planned Parenthood. We're not saying they don't do anything. They do a lot. However, they have money. They have a ton of money. Donating to an abortion fund puts the money directly into people's hands who need to travel for abortions, who need to pay for their abortion, who need to have lodging when they're getting an abortion. It's going to directly impact the people that are going to be impacted the most by Roe v. Wade being overturned, which is specifically poor individuals. And because these poor individuals are going to be, you know, they're going to be dealing with this at a much higher rate than a rich white woman. Rich white women have access to abortions no matter what. Rich white women's can, women can get on a plane or a train or drive. They can take off work. They can. It's not going to impact rich white women. And I think that we all need to get on the same page about that. That's why donating to an abortion fund is so much more important. If you can, go out, protest. I've been trying to post resources as much as I can. But that's just how I'm feeling about all of this. I mean, I don't th – that episode today is about anxiety and like – it gives me a lot of anxiety to think about Roe v. Wade being overturned, but I think 
Many of us who have been following this knew that this day was coming. And it's not a matter of like being shocked that it's here. It's a matter of like what we're going to do about it. So put your money where your mouth is. Go out and fight if you if you can, if you're able. Be safe. If you need anything, DM me. It is scary. You're allowed to be anxious. But we need to channel that energy into anger because women are allowed to be angry. People are allowed to be angry about this. I'm fucking angry. Elizabeth Warren is fucking angry. A lot of you guys are angry too. So Get out there, put your money where your mouth is, donate to an abortion fund, and start talking about this and stop talking about the Met Gala. That's all. Okay. <laughs> anyway, today the episode is about anxiety, um, and it's a big episode for me. I've dealt with generalized anxiety disorder since I was probably six or five. Like, that's when I was first diagnosed. I'm going to take you through my whole journey about it. I'm going to get into some stuff that I think are a little bit hard for me personally to talk about. I want to like issue a trigger warning i suppose um if you don't like to hear about mental health if it bothers you definitely just don't listen to this episode it's not going to bother me if the ratings are lower because if it helps someone that's enough for me secondly i am not a doctor i will never claim to be a doctor nothing infuriates me more than when influencers or celebrities are trying to give medical advice without mentioning that they're not a doctor I will always say that my number one first piece of advice ever is to go to therapy, get help, tell someone you need help. I'm not a doctor. I'm not claiming to be a doctor. That needs to be said. It makes me so angry to see fitness influencers giving advice to people about eating disorders without saying that they need to go get medical treatment because eating disorders are a medical condition, very similar to getting sick. You need medical help. It's really, really dangerous to not address that first. So we're going to start there. That's really, really important for you guys to know. It's important that I share that with you. And we're going to talk about therapy and medication. We're going to talk about everything. But I want to start by saying I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a girl with a lot of anxiety. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about my own coping mechanisms and all that stuff. Okay. So I definitely have a family history of anxiety. I'm not sure from what side primarily. I think it's mom's. Sorry, my allergies are so bad. (laughs) I think it's my mom's side mostly that has the history with anxiety. So like that's – it's not new to me. Definitely my anxiety started when I was a child. A lot of therapists will try to trace back the root of your anxiety. My first memories of being anxious were my mom dropping me off and picking me up at school. I had a fear that she wouldn't come back to get me. Um, Pretty consistent fear that she wasn't going to come. And this was like third grade, second grade, so like seven, eight years old. This is something that I remember very, very clearly. Obviously, there were other other anxiety triggers, but that was probably like the first one. Um, That quickly morphed into health anxiety. So I couldn't do hospitals. Um, I've actually never been knock on wood to a hospital other than like checking myself in for a panic attack to the ER is like the only time. Like I've never like knock on wood. I'm so superstitious, broken a bone. I've never got sick enough that like I had landed myself in a hospital. My surgeries were done at a surgery center. So I just have never... I've never. So I hate hospitals, hate blood, hate fainting, hate thinking about my heart beating, can't do it. So that and then throwing up. Um, I'm not scared of throwing up. I can't watch other people throw up. When I was a kid, it was like a fear, like a vehement fear of vomit. When when other kids would throw up in class, I would like literally spiral. Like and I don't throw up myself. I just get panic attacks. I hate throwing up. I hate it to this day. If someone's going to throw up, I have to be like far away from them. I like can't deal with it. Me personally, I'm fine with throwing up when I'm drunk. I know that sounds awful, but I knock on wood again, haven't really thrown up a lot 
soberly ever and drunkenly I don't like recall and like it makes me feel better like it's not my own vomiting that makes me nervous it's other people I just can't do it so that is another thing um and I think growing up I was super loud and maybe like crazy and very like you know, performative and like excitable. Um, And I think there's really interesting dichotomy with how anxious I was because a lot of times we like look at anxiety as something that would be on a quieter person. And I was never a quieter person. Like I was very talkative and loud. And I think like the way my anxiety presented itself when I was growing up was really interesting because nobody would look at me and be like, that's an anxious kid. And maybe like people that truly knew me would say that. And maybe like I'm just looking at myself as like, oh, she was so loud. But I personally think that nobody would have really looked at me um, as a super, super anxious kid. Um, and I had a lot of panic attacks when I was in middle school. I I don't experience panic attacks as much anymore. And we're just going to go through this whole history. But when I was in middle school, I would have a lot of panic attacks. They were pretty common for me. Um, I was in and out of like therapy when I was in middle school. And then I think in high school is when I remember like, quote, getting better, unquote. Um, I don't want to say getting better because we're going to get into like my thoughts around, you know, anxiety and, and healing. But when I got to high school, I feel like my mom got sick with an autoimmune and I kind of stepped into like a caretaker role for my brothers a little bit. And I was like forced to be the strong one. And like I had health anxiety for her, but like my generalized anxiety disorder seemed to like back off a bit. Um, and then I went to college. So in college, it definitely came back. It was mostly anxiety surrounding relationships, still the health anxiety um, and a lot of anxiety about like dying alone, being alone, failure. Um, I've said this before, but I just had this thought in my head that like, if I didn't get married, I would literally like be broke and like, just like on the street. Cause like, I was never going to be enough to be like a creative. Um, I have relationship anxiety that we'll get into. And then also crowds became a thing for me in college. It still is. I'm okay at like theaters. I'm really not good with concerts. I think growing up, I just had a lot of anxiety about going to concerts and I like still don't love them. Um, I went to GovBall last year and that was like a really big fear conquer of mine. And I just stood in the back. I'm going again this year, but like I will, when I say the back, I mean like there's no one behind me. Like I mean like I'm I'm in the back and like I'm going with GovBall this year. So I don't know if that's going to be an option for me, but I'm just going to politely ask if it could be just because I can't, like I can't go anywhere other than the back. Sporting events are really still tough for me. I used to go to them with my parents and then my grandparents would come and tailgate in the parking lot with me during the game because I couldn't go in. Um, they're still tough for me, but that came in college. Um, and then I went through like my first heartbreak and my first breakup. And this was a person that like really harvested really bad relationship anxiety in me personally. So basically our situation and not to like get too far into it, but he broke up with me and then he like basically strung me along for a year, but it wasn't just like the stringing along where we were like consistently hooking up for a year. It's like every weekend we would hook up and essentially get back together. We'd be like, we're back together. And then two days later, he would come over and break up with me again. And it was always something I did. It was always my fault. And I spent every single day of that relationship wondering if I was good enough or if he was going to break up with me. I never once felt secure one single day of the relationship. It was fully insecurities. He would always tell me like, things like, oh, well, you're not her and reference his ex or like, you're too this, you're too that. And like, he couldn't just realize that like he was the problem slash like we just weren't right for each other, but instead blamed it all on me. And I internalized that because I put him up on this pedestal and I like really truly believed all the things that he said. And so I, that left me with a lot of relationship anxiety. So I went to therapy for that because I was, 
I was like very depressed my second semester of my freshman year, wasn't really going to class. And she was basically like, you're depressed, but you also have anxiety. So we worked through that. And this episode is not about depression, though depression is very valid. And I don't have a strong enough experience with the depression to feel inclined to talk about it. I think I had a depressive episode. I think I had a depressive era. I don't think I would say that I've ever been truly depressed. And so I'm not going to speak on it. However, if you are and you have been, you're incredibly valid. Um, And so I tried to sort of like go to her and get through it on my own. And then I got into another relationship. And that was like my first experience being feeling very insecure in a secure, more secure relationship. Like that relationship was more secure. I believe that if I hadn't broken up with him, like I think we would have stayed together. I don't know if that to be true. Like I was going to break up with him. Like we broke up, obviously, but like it was a secure relationship in which I pulled the plug. So I think that was my first experience with like trying to comprehend and discuss with someone relationship anxiety, which we're going to get into. And I think the problem with that relationship was that he sort of invalidated the insecurity and it would be and would just turn it back on himself. Like, well, am I not good enough for you then? And like he wouldn't understand or comprehend it. Um, And yeah, after him and I broke up, it this I'm not good enough, I'm a failure, like early college anxiety sort of came back really bad my senior year. I hopped between therapists um, and I had like two different ones in Michigan that I like really liked um, and I had some really great realizations. I think like I started to learn a little bit about my relationship anxiety. Um, something that was really important for me in that time was I was really nervous to like ever meet someone again because it was like well what if it goes bad what if I'm not enough and like those people helped me to realize like well also what if it goes good and like what if you are more than enough like because you are and like what if it goes great I think that like flipping the coin on its head was really helpful for me at that time um and then um I also realized you know that you can drown in an ocean and you can drown in a puddle and that's something that I like really hold near and dear to my heart which is just meaning like your problems might be a lot smaller. They may be a puddle compared to an ocean. However, you could still drown in those. And I think like validating my feelings surrounding anxiety, like going to a therapist and being like, my boyfriend and I broke up and I'm anxious, like, and I'm sad. Like that to me felt pathetic, but it really was super validating to realize that like I was just drowning in a puddle and like my puddle was big enough for me to drown in. I think that's like a really important distinction because comparing your issues and the reason why you're in therapy to somebody else's is never going to be helpful. It's just going to distract from actual healing. Um, And I think when COVID came along, I had that similar feeling of like people are losing family members and I'm just anxious. And it's like, well, you are anxious. You're not just anxious. You're anxious. That's enough. Like you're not, I'm just depressed. You're depressed. Like that's enough to go to therapy. You can drown in an ocean and you can drown in a puddle. Um, And comparing your struggles to somebody else's doesn't make either of them better. It doesn't actually do anything. Um, And a lot of that inadequacy around my own anxiety, I think, was what deterred me from going into therapy so many times. But I'm here to tell you that you're very valid. Um, And so after COVID happened, I moved to the city, as you guys know. And I started to have like, I started to be on the upswing probably in December of 2020. I met Avery in January of 2021. And we're going to get into like the specifics of relationship anxiety. Um, But I think this was the first time I was with somebody that I could like explain my relationship anxiety to. And like, he truly tries to like actually do something to like help me. And like, he understands my anxious attachment style. If you haven't read the book Attached, it's really helpful in understanding your attachment style and how you want to give and receive love in that way. Um, he's really, really great at like empathizing and understanding like what I'm going through and trying to help me. Um, 
And I think that that's really wonderful, and we'll get into that. And then now, I would say my anxiety really surrounds my job, um, my relationship, probably not so much, but there's a lot of daily anxiety um, around the things I feel on a day-to-day about work and, like, about posting on TikTok, and, like, it's more anxiety probably than I've ever felt, but in a very different way. So I go to therapy now as well. I started going um, as a mitigation tactic, so... I just know myself and like I need to be on pretty much 24-7 with the momentum that I've had. Like if you wanted to keep going, you just need to keep going yourself. Um, And I just realized that if I didn't have someone to talk to, I'd probably break down. And I didn't want to start therapy when I had broken down. I wanted to start it before that could even happen. So that's why I started going again. Um, And some things that I've learned recently that I wanted to share – And I think these are self-realizations, but I've also been able to communicate them through therapy. The first one is that um, when you're creating scenarios in your head, you have to put the facts first and then the feelings second. So, for example, saying, I think my boyfriend, um, I think he's uh, doing this. Like, I I feel like – no, no, no. Saying, I feel like my boyfriend hates me. I feel like he's ignoring me. I think English is the only language where we say I feel like instead of I think because you actually don't feel like that. You think that your boyfriend is mad at you and is going to ghost you. And you feel anxious because of that. But you think that. You don't feel like I feel like my boyfriend doesn't like me. I feel like my job is going to fire me. You think that. You don't feel that. So I think that was a really important distinction for me. And then the second one is that putting facts first and emotions second. Okay, I think that my boyfriend is ghosting me. I think that he hates me. What are the facts? He hasn't answered in two hours because he's at work. And the last thing he said was love you instead of I love you. Those are the facts. Look at the facts. Analyze the facts as though they're not your story, they're somebody else's. And then think about the feelings that you would put on those facts. You'd probably be like, okay, he's at work. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh my God. That helps me to really understand and comprehend my anxiety a little bit better. The other thing is that like, you know the truth, right? You say, I feel like everyone thinks I'm a bad person. Change it. I think everyone thinks I'm a bad person, but are you a bad person? Don't you know that you're not a bad person? What matters is what you know about yourself and what you know to be true, not what your brain is telling you you feel like. And I think that that was really, 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 really important for me recently. You know, I would say things to my therapist like, I'm worried that everybody thinks I'm a bad person. I feel like everyone thinks I'm a bad person. And she was like, well, are you a bad person? Like, you know you're not a bad person. So you might feel that way, but that's your brain telling you to feel that way. What what's true? Like what's true here? Or saying like I feel like he's doing this. I feel like he's doing that. Like well, what is actually the reality? That's really really important, and we'll get into that a little bit further. So basically, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of backstory on my personal relationship with my anxiety, just so that you know where I'm coming from when I'm going to approach all these topics. My anxiety definitely manifests in control. I also have flight anxiety and social anxiety. I need to be in control. I don't like to be in situations where the control is taken from me. When I was growing up, I always wanted to be the one in the group project doing all the work because I was worried about not being in control. I love to be busy. I love to be overbooked because then I'm not sitting alone with my thoughts and like thinking about things and like spiraling. Um, These days, I try to force myself to be alone a little bit more um, and sit with my thoughts because it helps me to work through them. But I used to just like push them off and just overbook myself so much that I didn't even have to think. So that I was sort of operating on autopilot. And I think the con- like realizing that my anxiety manifests in control was helpful for me because it helps me to understand my impulses, things like why I like to be always like to drive the car and why I like to plan things, why I don't like to go into social settings that I didn't plan because I don't know what to expect. It's a lack of control. Okay, so that's that's me. And now we're going to get into a couple different topics. So the first one, I want to talk about therapists and medication. 
I personally have never been on medication for anxiety. I've never, I've had conversations, the conversation has been brought up to me by therapists. I've never felt like I needed it or that I wanted it. That being said, I know it helps people tremendously. And if that is a route that you want to take, I applaud you. I think you should talk to a psychologist, talk to a psychiatrist, just line all your ducks in a row, do all the right things, do your research and go for it. Like if that's going to make you feel better, go for it. For me, I've never felt like that was the route that I wanted to take, but I applaud people that do. In terms of therapists, I think you have to remember that nothing is marriage until it's marriage. And if you go to one therapist and you don't like them, that's actually pretty rather normal. With my current one, um, I use BetterHelp, which I can't recommend enough. It's like $300 a month, which is really inexpensive when it comes to therapy, unfortunately. And you can easily just like pick a new therapist if you don't like the one that you're working with. Like they have a whole database. It makes it really easy. The first one I met with, I just didn't like her. Just because they're a therapist doesn't mean they're going to fit with you. It's like just because a guy is walking down the street doesn't mean you're going to date him. You know what I mean? Like just because there's a single man in the bar doesn't mean he's the right guy for you. Just because someone is a therapist doesn't mean they're the right therapist for you. You might have to shop around a little bit and that might be the hardest part. I think getting yourself there is honestly the hardest part. Some days logging in. Fuck, I just dropped my water bottle. (laughs) Some days logging into therapy can be the hardest part, but it's about getting yourself to that place. It's about that little push, and then the rest is actually going to be easier probably. It's always the hardest part to get yourself there. But remember, like, you can shop around for therapists. You can try a few until you find one. Um, That's definitely what I did, and I love mine now, and we really, really fit together, and she's really smart and understanding, and I love her. But the first one I went to, it just she wasn't right for me, and that's totally, totally fine. Okay, moving on to anxiety attacks. Um, Like I said, I don't really experience panic attacks anymore as much as I used to when I was a kid. However, like I have pretty vast experiences with them. Something that I remind myself when I'm having an anxiety attack, and this is a really, really good thing to remind yourself too. Every anxiety attack has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you are somewhere in that spectrum right now. So if your anxiety attack is going to last, let's just say, an hour – 30 minutes is the middle, zero minutes is the beginning, and one hour is the end. It kind of helps because it's like you're not, you're going to get out of there. Like if you're sitting in your panic, you're, you're getting out of it. Like reminding yourself to go through the wave of it and telling yourself like you're going to come down from this is something that's actually helped me to start coming down from it naturally. Just to be like, okay, like you're in the middle, like it's going to end. This is, this has an ending, you know, that's so, 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 so helpful. Going through it is really important as well. Like, you know, when you're trying to suppress, 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 and we're going to talk about how you can handle anxiety when you can't like step out or anything. But if you're trying to suppress it so much, it's like what I always say, like when you're pushing down your emotions, you're putting like cement over them and eventually you're gonna have to knock it all down to get to them. And that's just going to be more work for you. Two things that really help me in the moment. One is rescue remedy. I don't know if this is a placebo. I don't really care. I've been using it since I was a kid. It is a homeopathic anxiety remedy. They have it in a spray. The spray is gross, but they also have it in like a little um, lozenger that you can take. They have it for dogs. Like it's tested. Like it works. I've always used a spray when I was growing up. I had it in like all my backpacks and everything. The other thing, CBD. Um, I love CBD. People are scared of CBD because they think it's weed. CBD is not weed. CBD will not make you feel high in the slightest. Like, at all. It doesn't have THC in it. It's not going to make you feel high. It just can calm you down. Um, and you don't have to take it orally if you don't want to. I t- I take it orally. I have t- been taking it orally. But I also use Baked Beauty Co., which is like a bomb. And they also have this little stick that you can rub on your temples and you can put it on your wrists. And I also put it under my nose um, and breathe it in just can calm you down a little bit. I don't even know if it's a placebo, but it's like, it's a calming thing. And I think it really helps. Also, if you're out and about, you can like quickly like put it on and be like, okay, I'm good. I'm ready. 
Amazing. Um, I think, so for me, with with my anxiety and my panic attacks, I, for a really long time, when I was having panic attacks and experiencing that as a kid, I was looking at it as something to cure. I was looking at it like, I want to cure this. And this is, might be a controversial statement, but I want to like discuss it a little. You have to stop looking at your anxiety as something to cure and rather as something to manage. I have realized that my anxiety is something I will walk through this life with every single fucking day. It's going to be a part of me. It's going to be a part of what I'm going through. It's here. But I can find ways to manage and cope with it and suppress it. I'm not going to be able to cure it. And when I was putting my energy on curing it, I wasn't getting anywhere. But once I realized like this is something to manage, not to cure, it was so it made so much sense all of a sudden. Like what mitigation tactics can I take to make my anxiety a little bit lessened? How can I alleviate myself slightly instead of how can I find a cure? And a lot of people argue this with eating disorders. Like I, as somebody who has had eating disorders in her life, I believe that that is always going to be a part of me, like a battle scar. I'm going to walk through this life with that, with that experience. However, I have managed my eating disorder. I have mitigated it. I have suppressed it. But it is something that's always walking with me. And I'm proud to say that my anxiety and my history of eating disorders are walking with me because I am now a healthy person. I consider myself really mentally strong and tough these days. I think I've gotten through a lot. I think I've really worked on it. And I think I have managed my anxiety and I have suppressed the shit out of my eating disorders. But to me, it was when I was looking to cure them, I wasn't getting anywhere. And I think that that is so important to realize. And if you don't agree with that, that's okay. Like, you don't have to agree with that. If you're like, I cured mine, go off. I'm so happy for you. For me, that was never going to happen. And making the mental switch was like everything for me. And I'm I'm really glad that I did it. So now, some misconceptions about anxiety that I want to talk about. Um, and I think it doesn't necessarily, like there are more, there are probably more. You might not agree with all of these, but these are ones that I think come up for me. The first one is that it looks one way. People think of anxiety, think of panic attacks, they think of like very anxious, introverted, probably shy. I would say less likely it even looks like that. Like more than likely, I would say it's just your average gal. And like, I don't know, you would, I don't know if you would look at me and think like she's an anxious girl, like she's social and talkative. Like, I don't think I look the way that people think anxiety looks, but that's the thing. Anxiety doesn't look one way. It can literally look any way. It looks different on anyone, everyone, and every single person has a different experience with it that, that has anxiety. And so I think that that's really important. It doesn't manifest in one way. It doesn't look one way. Your anxiety and my anxiety are different people. They're different. They're totally different. And that's all right. For me... My anxiety is like an elephant sitting on my chest. That's what I always say. Um, it feels like my my chest, like from like probably my collarbone to like the top of my boobs, that's where it is. It's like a little square that an elephant is sitting on. Um, I get loss of appetite. I feel like I can't really breathe. And those are like my symptoms, but those are literally opposite symptoms to so many other people. I also think another misconception is people saying I'm having a panic attack or like if that happens, I'm going to have a panic attack. And I've even said that before. It's a colloquial speech that people use. That's not a panic attack. Being like, oh, my God, I'm going to have a panic attack if if like if we don't get in on time to the to the concert or like, oh, my God, I'm going to have a panic attack if he doesn't text me back. Like a panic attack can look like hyperventilating. It can look like needing to be hospitalized. I have literally brought myself to the hospital for panic attacks several times, several times to the ER for a panic attack. They're scary. You feel like you're dying. And if you felt that, I am sorry. I'm here with you. It sucks. Um, And I think we have to be careful about that wording. Um, Another thing, we cope in different ways. A lot of people cope with humor and dark humor, and that is their way of coping, and you can't take that away from them. 
there are different ways of mitigating anxiety. There are different ways of coping. Some people take medication. Some people don't. Some people meditate. Some people hate that shit. Like there are different ways to get through it. And I'm going to talk about my coping mechanisms, but I think those are a couple of the misconceptions that I see a lot that are pretty present and pretty prevalent. Um, Also, I think that there's a world in which there are some people who are embarrassed about their anxiety. And that's also totally normal. Um, I think it's really, really hard sometimes to feel like you're on the outside, especially when you're a middle schooler or a high schooler and people aren't really talking about mental health as freely as they maybe are now. Um, It's really normal to feel embarrassed about it. But I want you to know if you are, you're really not alone. Like I would say most people listening to this, like that clicked on this episode, have experienced anxiety in some form in their lives. Otherwise, they maybe wouldn't be so inclined to listen. Um, I think it's really, really normal to feel embarrassed. But also it's okay to also just turn that embarrassment off and own it and like own this as a part of you and I'm going to get into like how people that don't have anxiety can support people that do but it can be tough having to explain your anxiety to others who don't have anxiety um but I look at my anxiety disorder as something like my thyroid disorder right so I have a thyroid disorder people know about it because whenever I'm like oh yeah I'm on medication I have a thyroid disorder whatever people have different things in their lives my mom has Lyme's disease like I look at my my anxiety disorder in the same way like my thyroid disorder isn't like contested people don't think that that's weird that I have a thyroid disorder it's a health problem my anxiety disorder generalized anxiety disorder is the same way for me that's how I look at it also I want to point this out if you broke your arm you would never be like I'm not going to the doctor because I don't have cancer You'd be like, my arm is fucking broken. I'm going to go to the doctor. Having anxiety, a lot of people were like, well, I'm not going to go to therapy or I'm not going to talk about this because I'm not super, super depressed. I'm not having these dark thoughts. It's like, well, if you broke your arm, you'd still go to the doctor to get it fixed. And you would never, ever in your life be like, well, I don't have terminal and a terminal illness. It doesn't make sense. So I think you'll have to remember that, like, this is a valid thing. It's like a health problem. You have to include that in your everyday verbiage. I look at my anxiety disorder as something that, People can't see, but it exists. Like my passions. Like I'm so passionate about writing. When you look at me, you see like, okay, she has like dirty brown, dirty brown, is that a color? Hair, green eyes, she's short, whatever. They don't see that I'm passionate about writing or that my favorite food is cheesecake, but I could tell them that and I could also just tell them I have generalized anxiety disorder. It's like an additional thing about my personality that people can't see, but is incredibly true. Reframing it in that way has really helped me to understand how to talk to people about it a little bit more. I'm going to get into like telling Avery about it and everything, but like I, when I see my anxiety as like an additional piece of my personality, it helps me to normalize it. And then if I'm communicating with somebody and I'm normalizing something about myself, they're just going to fall into line. Do you know what I mean? So if I'm like, talking about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a pretty anxious person. I have generalized anxiety disorder. Like I've been dealing with that for a while. People are going to be like, oh, wow. Like, thanks for telling me. No one's going to be like, what? Like, think about that. Nobody's reaction. And if they did, they're just a terrible person that you don't want in their life. So like good riddance. Think about like someone reacting to you saying that you have generalized anxiety disorder being like, okay, fucking weirdo. Like they would never do that. So I think you have to like normalize it in your own brain to normalize it for others. And like you are under no obligation to tell other people about the fact that you have anxiety. But for me, it was really helpful to tell my current significant other. Um, Also is telling your parents if you're younger and you're like kind of stressed out about um, like sharing that with them. I think a rule that I always had was just like count down from three. And I would just be like, I feel really anxious and I would like to talk to someone. And if your parents are giving you a hard time, I think it's always good to pull a little research and be like, well, I checked BetterHelp. This is how much it costs. Or like, I checked this and it can be covered by our insurance. And like, there are a lot of platforms out there that can be helpful um, for somebody that's looking to start therapy at a lower cost. So I think also just doing your research as well. Okay. 
Another thing you guys wanted to talk about is anxiety, which I think is a huge one for people. I think this is very prominent. If you don't know, anxiety is the next morning after you drink a lot when you start getting anxiety about the things you did or said. Listen, sometimes you might be drunker than everybody else, but if you're in a setting where you're that drunk that you're doing things you didn't remember or you're saying things you don't remember, odds are other people are also drunk. And so that's number one. So like people probably don't remember things in the same way that you remember them. Number two, everyone's concerned with themselves. No offense. Nobody really cares what you did. Like I have to be honest, unless you hurt someone or like did something so out of pocket, nobody cares what you did because they're all concerned with what they did. Realizing that I'm not the center of the universe was the biggest breakthrough for me ever. Like I would wake up the next day being hungover in college and like having anxiety about it and being like, no one cares about what the fuck I did. Like why would they care about what I did? They care about what they did, what they looked like, what they were doing. Nobody gives a shit what I did. That, and even if that's not true, just completely changed my mindset. Thirdly, you can't change what happened. Like, right, there's no going back. You're wasting your precious time on this earth being like, oh my God, I texted Jake. Who cares? Literally block him. I would literally just block his number if I was embarrassed. Fuck it. Bye. Like you're wasting your time. You can't go back and change anything. What happened happened, right? So all you can do is move on. Frankly, I would just tell my brain, we're not thinking about that anymore. It didn't happen. Oh, I fell off a table. No, I didn't. So weird. Crazy that people are saying that. Gaslight them. (laughs) Like, I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? Like, you cannot go back and change what already happened. So all you can do is if you have to say some sorries, say some sorries. You know what? Everybody gets a little too drunk sometimes. Everybody needs to get taken care of sometimes. It happens. Good friends understand, number one. Number two, everybody was drunk last night. And I promise you, nobody is remembering the things you did in the same way that you are. And number three, everybody was concerned about themselves. So the odds that they were noticing your every little little thing and the odds that the guy or whatever was like thinking your texts were weird or slim to none everybody does it it's a normal human thing like eating breakfast in the morning that's all i got to say about anxiety okay relationship anxiety all right let me just see this really quickly okay let's talk about relationship anxiety um the first thing that you have to know about relationship anxiety and i'm also going to talk about dating anxiety but we'll start here is that it's not your fault if you have anxiety in relationships. Somebody else likely made you feel that way. Somebody else instilled that in you or trauma in your own life with parents or adults in your life. Like it's not your fault. You're allowed to be angry and you're allowed to place the blame arbitrarily. Like don't go up to someone and be like, I mean, you could. It's your fault. Like you could, you could. But for me, Realizing that it's not my fault that I'm so insecure in relationships, but rather somebody else, my ex-boyfriend, put this inside of me, I'm just like, screw you for doing that to me. I'm allowed to be upset and angry. Women are allowed to be angry at people that hurt us. We're told to bottle up our anger, but then again, the cement, we have to dig it up. Be angry. Be mad, okay? It's not your fault because I think I spent so much time being like, why do I feel like this? How can I fix it? Listen, you can't. I can't, right? Like, I work on it really, really hard, and I'm going to explain how, but this happened to me. This is something that somebody else did to me that makes me now insecure in my own relationships, and that is just, I'm working on it. The book Attached really helped, but I'm just going to talk about it. You're allowed to be angry. So for me, with my current now boyfriend, I think like he knows how anxious I get about relationships and specifically ours. Something that I caution is that a lot of times when we're anxious about relationships and we feel insecure and the other person is really secure, they will 
be upset because they'll be like, you're so insecure about us. Why? Like, what am I doing wrong? I think you have to reiterate it to your partner, if they're a good partner, that it's not them. Like, I I think in the beginning with Avery, before I really told him about my relationship anxiety and insecurities, he was kind of like, but why are you insecure? Like, what am I not giving you? It's like nothing. You're doing everything right. This has nothing to do with you. I brought this baggage with me from past relationships. I just need to unpack it and I haven't yet, but let's unpack it together. Help me unzip the suitcase. I want to talk to you about it. And I was basically just like, listen, like I had this relationship. This is what happens. Like I spent every day questioning whether or not this person loved or hated me, whether or not this person wanted to be with me or not. And frankly, whether or not this person was going to break up with me or not. And that was a lot for somebody who was already really insecure back then. And I need you to know that when I get anxious about us, it has nothing to do with what you are not doing and if or what you are doing. And if it were, I would tell you because I try to be a good communicator. So if my anxieties and insecurities about our relationships were about you, I would be like, hey, you did this thing. It's making me anxious. But if I'm just asking, like, is everything okay with us? Or if I say something like, I just get nervous because you said X and I just want to make sure everything's okay. And I seem a little bit on edge. That doesn't have anything to do with you. And I think you just need to bear with me a little bit. And obviously I've gotten a lot better about it because he sat me down before and like been like, look me in the eyes and understand that this is secure and that I love you and that I want to be with you. But all I had to ask for was a little bit of affirmation. I had to be like, sometimes I need you to affirm me. And then for example... He has a really tough like three weeks at work with his earnings and like got a promotion and whatever. And we were out to dinner on a date last weekend and he was like, I have to talk to you about something. I just want to tell you like I might be a little bit MIA these next few weeks. I'm going to try to check in with you as much as possible and give you everything I can. But I want you to know that this relationship is secure. I love you and I want to be with you and I'm not breaking up with you and I'm not going to be distant on purpose. I wish I could spend every waking minute with you, but I have to prioritize this at this time. How easy was it for him to say that to me? Because otherwise, I probably would have spiraled, right? So I think just getting your partner to a place where they can comprehend it, where you've unpacked that baggage together when you are ready, and they understand what you're going through. They can look at it and say, okay, I know that I have to give this person a couple more affirmations than maybe other people because of what they've gone through. I know that I have to make sure to explicitly let her know that my distance is not because I don't like her or I don't want to be with her. It's because of work. And a lot of people might be able to infer that, but I can't. And having told him that was really helpful. And if for some reason you tell somebody about these anxieties and this insecurity in in a relationship and for some reason they're like, ew, or like that's weird, or like no, or like they just don't participate, then that's not someone that's going to be a good person for you, frankly. You deserve to be with somebody that hears you out and listens to you and understands you and is going to meet you where you're at. Because I meet him where he's at and he meets me where I am at. And frankly, I'm at an anxious place all the time. (laughs) So that's that. Okay. Let's do dating anxiety next because I think, oh my God, I just flicked off my, all right, dating anxiety. Where is it? All right, whatever. I can't find it on my list, but I know I wanted to talk about it. Um, Okay, so dating anxiety can be really, really tough because I would say that's the anxiety about like getting out there, like getting on a date, going out there, getting on the apps. Here's my thing. Dating is seen as this high stakes moment, but it's actually pretty low stakes. All the first date is, is two strangers getting to know each other. All it is. Or like two friends going out for a drink. And you have to think about it like this. 
the other person is in the same place as you are. Nobody is superior. It's not like he's taking me out on a date. Like you're taking each other out on a date. You're both in the same place. You don't know each other. You're looking to get to know each other. Maybe you want something romantic. Maybe you don't. You are a little nervous. It's a little awkward. You and him or her or them, you're in the same spot. You have to look at it like, okay, we're going to experience the same thing right now. It helps because then they're in it together with you other than two people against each other. And it's not just like you're on judgment hour. Like you're both going to get to know each other. And it's so, so, so low stakes. What's the worst case scenario? You go on a date and it's not good. You go on a date and the guy or the person doesn't want a second one. Okay, on to the next, you know? I think you have to bring the stakes down to help manage your anxiety a little bit. Now, I would always get a little nervous before first date. I'd have a glass and a half of wine. I would talk with my friends. Um, The only way to get better at dating is to do it. So if you're nervous about like what to talk about, like go out with someone that seems really talkative. Choose them right, you know, pick someone that's going to be great. And like, Worst comes to worst, the date is horrible. You call your friend, you leave, okay? There's always an out. You're going to be okay. And you're good enough and worthy enough to get yourself out there. So you always should. That's my thing. Like, you deserve it. It's going to be fun. It's such a low stakes thing. But I get being anxious because I used to be like that too. I'm taking some water. Hang on. I used to be a pretty anxious person going into dates. But then I was like, what are the stakes? Like, what is the worst case scenario? I leave during the date. Okay, funny story for later. A first date is always a funny story to tell your friends or the rest of your life. Let it sink in. Those are the two options, okay? You're either going to have a funny story to tell your friends, maybe a couple more dates, maybe no more dates, maybe whatever, or if that's the love of your life. Take it as you will, okay? But the stakes are low. There's not, it's not a big deal. And if you have a lot of anxiety about first dates, go on a double date. Get one of your friends and pick two guys that are friends and it'll be fun. I think that that's like a really good way to also help you get back into it. Um, Yeah, okay. You guys wanted to know how to manage anxiety when you can't like step out of a room or a place. So if I'm starting to have an anxiety attack when I'm talking to someone, when I'm at a social function, if I'm taking a test and I can't step out, I try to focus on my breathing rather than focus on whatever someone is saying to me. If I'm in a classroom, I start focusing on my breathing. If I'm in a room where I need to like socialize, I'll be like, I'm just going to go grab a drink. And the whole time I'm alone, I'm just focusing on breathing, like putting all my mental space on my breath and not on whatever situation is going on at hand. Fake it to you, make it obviously. The other thing I'll do is I'll focus on an object in the room. So I have a water bottle here. And I'll like look at the water bottle and I'll just put all my attention on the water bottle. I'll look at the plastic. I'll think about the material. I'll ask myself like, is it hot? Is it cold? How heavy would it be? Could I carry it with me? What is the paper made out of? Look at each tiny ridge on the cap. Look at the little tree and the texture of it on top of the cap. Um, It's like malleable. I can squish it. Like I will literally, it's, there's a word for it. My therapist taught me this, but I'll just analyze an object like as detailed as I can go. Like I'll look at the microphone and look at each little curly of the little squishy part that I don't know what it's called. But anyways, I'll like ask myself like, oh, is this metal rod cold to the touch? Like you have to just focus all your attention on that object. I don't know why it works for me. It's kind of like meditation, but meditation you can do while you're doing other things. Like you can be looking at an object. And like if you're in a conversation, again, just excuse yourself for a second. But if you're like taking a test, if you're sitting in a class, if you're on a plane, like these things can really, really help. Okay. How to manage anxiety when you can walk away, when you can take a break. Um, a walk is really, really good for me. I think fresh air for me is really great. Getting myself active and moving is really important. Talking to someone, it can be really distracting. And I think distractions are really good when you're in the middle of a panicky moment. 
I like music. I like to listen to something, something happy. I have playlists that I make like for more anxious days. I also love to listen to podcasts when I have anxiety. I specifically think listening to somebody else's voice and feeling like I'm a part of a conversation makes me feel a little bit less alone. Meditation doesn't work for everyone, but sometimes I just turn to it when I don't know what else to do. I'll just look up five-minute guided meditations on YouTube. They end up being really helpful for me. I know not everybody likes that, but I definitely do. Um, sometimes reading or watching TV, I just like to take my mind off of it. So those are some things that I'll do when I can get out of a situation. Okay. Work anxiety. Here's the thing about work. If you're doing your best and you're working hard and your bosses aren't going to accept that and they're making you feel bad or belittled or small, that's really not on you. Those are just bad bosses. Of course, there's a world in which you're working hard and doing your best and there's criticism or they have like, hey, like, can you do this? Like, hey, can you add this onto your plate? But then they should also be giving you affirmations and everything else. That's a good boss. So that's why I would just focus on working hard and doing your best. And then anything else that they're going to say to you that isn't constructive criticism or kindly asking you to do something is kind of unfounded. Um, and then that's on them, not on you. That's a reflection of them and what who they are and not on you. And obviously sometimes we can't get out of those situations, but try to make yourself a plan. Try to take space and time from work when you can to reflect and also have a secondary life for yourself that brings you joy if your work situation is not bringing you joy. Okay. Flight anxiety. Everyone wants to know. I think a lot of people don't even have anxiety and have flight anxiety because planes are scary. Listen, planes are fucking scary. I've had flight anxiety my whole life. It's gotten a lot better. I used to not even want to go to college a plane right away because I was terrified of flying on planes. And now I'm a little bit better at it because Michigan sort of forced me to be a little bit better at it. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Number one, turbulence cannot land a plane. Scientifically, it can't. I tell myself turbulence can't land the plane all the time in a daily life because it's like little challenges and bumps in the road can't end, end your flight. You're still going. You're still up there. You're going to get through the rough patch, whatever. Flight attendants are great to look at at times of fear on planes because they do this every day and they don't look nervous and they're still passing out drinks or like walking around and like putting their hand on the thing to shut all the, you know, overhead bins. They're like still doing their job. Like look at flight attendants. Um, they're still chatting with each other and like cleaning up. Like they're not anxious. So it's all good. Um, I also think this is the thing that helped my anxiety with flights the most. When you're driving in a car on the way to the airport or just next time you're in a car, think about all the little bumps you feel. If you try to take a video in a car, your phone is like because you're bumping all over things and whatever. Unless you're like on the highway, but still, it's like bumpy. It has like a cadence to it. It's the same thing in a plane. It just feels weird because you're in the air and we're so used to feeling it in a car. But the bumps that you feel on the road are literally the same as the bumps that you feel on a plane. Also, the flight that you're on, the plane that you're on flies back and forth that route like every single day. And I know that that's hard to hear, but like those flight attendants have probably been on like three or four flights that day already. Like they literally do it all the time and it's like very comfortable for them. The other thing specifically, <laughs> this is a funny story, but I, when I was a senior, I was hooking up with this guy and he like had an internship at like United Airlines or American Airlines. Um, and I would always ask him about like plane stuff because <laughs> I would always ask him about plane stuff because he like loved planes. I guess he was like an engineer. And he told me that planes on continental flights are equipped with two engines and um, that one there's like there's two. So if one goes out, there's automatically a backup engine. They only need one engine to fly continentally. However, if both blew out, a plane can successfully land without any engines as long as it's over 10,000 feet. And the 
likelihood that an, that the, both engines are blowing out under 10,000 feet is very, 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 very rare. That's what happened with Sully when he landed the plane in the Hudson River. Like, the reason that that was, like, such a big thing, and if you've ever watched the movie, basically, they they didn't believe that he had to land in the Hudson. Like, a lot of people were arguing that he could have turned around and gone back to the airport, but there was absolutely 0% chance that he could have because he had, like, 10 seconds to make a decision, and they did a bunch of simulators where they made pilots, like, simulate what they would have done, and all of them successfully got back to the airport, but then they allowed eight seconds for um, human, like, what the fuck do we do, and all of them crashed. All of them crashed trying to get back to the airport, because essentially the, the whole thing was, like, he had eight seconds to make his choice, and in that moment, he was like, I have to land in the Hudson, otherwise we're all done. Um, and that's why that's why he became such a freaking hero because they were like, holy shit, he's a genius. Like nobody, everybody else would have turned around. However, the reason it was so crazy is because never in history have both engines blown out under 10,000 feet because it was at takeoff. So he literally couldn't land it safely. He couldn't coast down. But if any engines blew out while you're on a plane, it can successfully coast all the way down without engines. And on continental flight, national What's continental? What the fuck am I? Okay. On flights that are like around the world or whatever, international. Holy shit. On those flights, (laughs) they have like four engines. So like you're literally cruising. You're cruising. Like I literally and figuratively you're cruising. All of this factual information has helped me so much to just really understand like how safe planes truly are. I know sometimes it gives people anxiety to look into the facts and figures, but for me, it's just like, I know that now. I take CBD before I fly, I drink wine before I fly, and I just listen to my music. Another thing I do is when the plane takes off, I count to a 1,000. I'm most nervous about takeoff. I don't know why. I don't like taking off. It's just not it for me. It's definitely my most fearful moment. But I just count to a 1,000, and by the time a 1,000 is up, we're up. We're good. It's easy. It also distracts you. Okay. People want to know how to let go of anxiety and, like, how to – you know, live in the moment more. Um, Okay. So for me, what I want you to do, I want you to sit down and write out all the facts going on right now. I'm applying to grad school. I'm talking to a guy named Luke who's 29 years old. I'm training for a half marathon. I live here with my friends. I do this. I do that. I don't know what I'm going to be doing next year at this time. Write them all down. Don't add in any emotion. Just the facts. Just the facts. Don't write down like, I'm dating this guy named Luke and I don't know if he likes Just, I'm dating this guy named Luke who's great. We have a fourth date on Saturday. Then I want you to read this little list back like it's somebody else's story and not your own. Like you're reading a character story in a book. And then you can add emotion onto that person's life. It's not you. It's someone else. And be like, okay, she's dating a guy named Luke. They're going on a fourth date. She's applying for grad school. And you could be like, wow, that's definitely probably nerve-wracking. But you're, she's probably going to get into grad school. She seems really qualified. Or like, if this guy Luke is meant to be, I'm sure it's going to work out. You know what I mean? Pull yourself out of your own head a little bit. And it, this exercise actually really helps me. Like, I'll write down the facts. Like, okay, what's going on in my life? What do I have? What am I looking at? What am I working toward? And I'll look at it like it's somebody else's story. And it really helps me to manage my own anxiety and also to just let go of that fear. Um, yeah. And to go along with that, it helps me to stay in the moment and not obsess so much over the future. And I had this realization because I used to be such like a forward thinker. 
if you're always obsessing with the future, you do know you're never going to get there because each second that you're obsessing over it is the future. As you're throttling yourself into the future, obsessing over what comes next, you're completely missing the present, which is truly and honestly all we have. All we have is the now. And I realized once that I was spending, like if I'm awake for like 16 hours a day, I was spending like 12 of those hours, like hating myself and my body and just anxious. And I was like, I'm wasting my whole life. I had this like crazy realization where I was like, I just wasted four years of my life. Like I don't remember one thing because all I remember is like how I felt about food and how much I hated myself. Like I I don't I don't remember anything. And it like made me really sad. But then I was like, I'm so glad I realized this now because I can snap out of it. And I'm going to start just like saying, fuck it. Like I want to count memories and not calories. I want to start being present with myself and for myself and showing up each day. And yes, we have to think about what's next a little bit. Like you have to make plans with your partner. You have to think about your upcoming lease. You have to think about applying to grad school, but you also need to think about today and right now, because if you're not doing that, you're going to completely miss out on it. All right. Let's see. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. You guys want to talk about crowd anxiety? I <laughs> I don't have a ton of advice because I'm still scared of crowds. But one thing I do is I just stand in the back that really helps me. So govball. When I tell you the back, I'm not like, I'm literally not saying I was surrounded by people. I was, there was no one behind me. Like me and my boyfriend were at the end of the line. And honestly, if your boyfriend's like, I need to go up in the front, like, blah, blah, blah. I don't care about your anxiety. He's not the one for you. My boyfriend, like seeing ASAP Rocky, he loves ASAP Rocky, like top five favorite artists. And he was like, yeah, babe, we can stand in the back the way back with no one around us like and we had so much fun honestly you can dance back there whatever and like I made sure to like just take care of myself when I know I'm going to be in a crowd like I make sure I'm not dehydrated I make sure I have Advil I make sure that I um, have my CBD on me I make sure I ate something good before because if I'm also feeling lethargic or nauseous or dizzy I'm going to get anxious about being in a crowd because I'm going to equate it to being in a crowd Um, for sporting events I have just gotten like slightly better at it like it gives me a lot of grace and confidence that they do like security checks for those um again though i'll just sit near a door i don't like to sit in the middle of an a row because i have to get if i have to get up i just like i'll get anxious about like oh my god what if i have to get up whatever i'll try to book aisle seats i book aisle seats for everything including planes because i like to like be able to have an out if i need one um so that's that's crowds for me um let's see okay so I think another thing that I want to touch on, and I always say this because my cross-country coach used to tell me this a lot, is fake it till you make it within your own anxiety. So what does this mean? Because a lot of people are like, I just don't know how to not be anxious. So valid because same. However, I realize that like confidence is the hottest thing you can wear. It's so sexy. It's so cool. Like you look great when you're confident. And I would just fake it. I would, before I walked into a room, I'd be like, you're meant to be here. Guys, I literally forgot to tell you this. I met fucking Tina Fey on Sunday. Do you think that I was standing at this cocktail hour with 50 fucking people and myself thinking like, I should be here. Yeah, Tina Fey wants to talk to me. Fuck yeah. No, I was literally like, my legs were shaking. I was like, I can't talk to her. Like, I'm not. And Avery was like, baby, you have to talk to her. Like, she's one of your heroes. And I was like... I don't like I literally don't know if I can like I need to count he was like count to three like you can do it he was like having to coach me through it but then I was like I realized I was like it's Tina Fey if she's annoyed by me asking for a picture I don't give a shit like this is my one and only chance I might never meet Tina Fey again like I could lose everything tomorrow and I could I want to die saying I met Tina Fey and have a picture with her so I just like took a deep breath and I was like okay and I was like 
I went up to her and I just like did it and I faked it. I faked it. I was like, I'm the most confident girl here. I can do this. Like, was that actually what was running through my head? No. But like on the first day of work, when I walked into my office building on my first day of work, when I was working in journalism, I remember like hyping myself up in my brain being like, okay, I am supposed to be here. Everybody wants me here. I'm smart. I'm capable. I got this. Did I believe that? No. Was I nervous? Yes. But I walked in there like I own the place a little bit. Not all the way, but you know what I mean. Just confident. And it it helps. And it's all about faking it till you make it. And you guys know what I always say. Conscious thoughts become subconscious actions. Eventually, you'll just be acting like that all the time. Um, and I think, like, it's interesting because people will ask those of us who aren't, like, so thin and so societally beautiful and all these things like how are you so confident and they would never ask like a hot man they would never ask a man that and they would never ask a beautiful beautiful societally perfect woman how are you so confident because it's inferred that they would be confident because of their looks confidence to me has nothing to do with that people ask me all the time how are you so confident and i know what they're asking me because i'm little and i'm curvy and maybe i'm not societal society's idea of beautiful but I'm just confident because I love myself. I'm confident because I know I'm meant to be here. I'm confident because this is my place. And like, yeah, those are all learned behaviors because I used to not be that way at all. But I think you just have to fucking own it and you have to just go for it in these situations. Like before you walk up to a guy, yeah, it's anxiety inducing. You, he's going to say yes. Ready? I'm going to change your life. I'm going to change your life. Future you already has that guy. Future you already has the job. Future you is already a lawyer. Current you just needs to work to get there. Switch your mindset. Future you already has all those things. Current you just needs to cut the BS and work to get there. Current you just needs to fake it till you make it, squash those anxious thoughts, squash those intrusive thoughts and say, no, not today, bitch, because I am a star. I'm already a lawyer. I was born to be a lawyer. I'm already a lawyer. I think you have to think like that. Otherwise, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and you deserve all those things because you're a good person and you work hard and you're kind to others and you're you're so full of life and you're also so full of anxiety and those two things can be true and they're okay. All right. I think I've talked for an hour. I don't know. I'm looking at the time. I'm like, I'm unsure. (laughs) Anyway, I just want to reiterate before we end and before we close that you can get help if you need it. And I'm actually telling you to take up the space to ask for help. Use your breath for that. Go get help. You can drown in an ocean. You can drown in a puddle. It's okay to ask for help. Better help has really helped me. I've had people say that it hasn't helped them. I personally really like it. If you need resources or something, if you're looking for something, DM me, bump me. I can try to find things for you. Um, if you were triggered by this, I'm sorry. I hope you didn't listen to the whole thing. Or maybe you just skip to the end to hear me say bye. <laughs> but um, I just want to remind you that it's okay to ask for help. Always, please do. I'm not a doctor. Um, basically everything I just said is from my own personal experience and my, my, I'd say significant time spent in therapy and like all of the strides that I've taken to become where I am now, which is a significantly less anxious person than I once was. So that's where I got the foresight to say all this. I love you guys so much. I'm sending you a big hug. If you're having an anxious day, I'm so sorry. Pour yourself a glass of wine. Go get a big cookie. Go on a walk. Listen to your favorite podcast. I hope it's this one. Um, (laughs) or listen to Girls Gotta Eat because that's mine and just, just relax because you're here. You're okay. You're going to be fine. Your panic attack has an end and you're going to get through it. I love you. Sending you so much love and adoration and a big hug. And I will see you next week. Happy Mother's Day if you're a mother. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye.